Everyone's probably wondering, why are we doing a Christmas sermon today? We're not. Bear with me, okay? We're not. Uh, well, if we haven't met yet, my name is Cassie Farron, and my husband Alex and I have the privilege of leading this little Jesus community together, and we are so glad that you chose to join us today. You just heard from one of our wonderful associate pastors, Corbin, and we're just so grateful for all the people that make this church possible and lead these awesome people. Uh, so if you have been with us for the last three weeks, you know that we took a break from our fall sermon series to focus on our vision statement, revealing the kingdom of Jesus together in Kansas City. And it was awesome, and it was great, but now we're picking back up with our fall sermon series. Alex actually ended us off before we jumped into that, talking a little bit about the spirit in the prophets, the spirit in the prophets. And that worked to conclude, actually, our survey of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And the big takeaway from that sermon series is this. The Holy Spirit, the often forgotten third member of the Trinity, did not just show up in the New Testament, but the Holy Spirit's been around from the very beginning. In Genesis, the Holy Spirit, or Ruach, is the very breath breathed into creation and into our nostrils. In the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit empowering people for work and giving them divine resource. In the history of Israel, we see God's liquid spirit, or his anointing, poured out on leaders in the Old Testament, but specifically on the person of David. And David foreshadowed the true anointed one, the Christ. And then in prophets, we see people rely on the Holy Spirit to speak truth and to stand for justice. And we see that we ourselves are given the Holy Spirit to discern between both false and true prophets. And now we come to the New Testament. And we see how the Holy Spirit plays out first in the life of Jesus. And we see this happen in three acts. Acts 1 would be the birth of Jesus. Acts, act 2 would be his baptism and subsequent wilderness journey. And Act 3 would be his ministry. And we're going to look at each of these acts of the Spirit in Jesus' life through what are called the three synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, his birth. Mark, his spirit or his wilderness journey and baptism, and then Luke, his ministry. And so today I'm not giving some sort of Christmas sermon series early before Halloween. Rather, I want to look at the role of the Spirit in Jesus' birth. So looking at Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, it is most likely written by Matthew right? He was a tax collector as well as a disciple of Jesus. And it's assumed that he took 30 to 40 years to collect different stories about Jesus and compose them into this book that we now call the Gospel of Matthew. And he's working really to achieve two things with his book. Number one, He's working to answer the question, what is the origin story of Jesus, right? Every good superhero has to have an origin story. What is the origin story of Jesus? And two, what is Jesus's goal? And we see this origin story begin on the very first page of Matthew. 
This book begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You know, that section you always skip through to get to the birth. In Greek, that word for genealogy is actually the word geneesis, and it's where we get our word Genesis, right? So Matthew begins his gospel by saying the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. And if you've been around Midtown for a while, you should start having some bells kind of go off in your brain. Ah, a Genesis, a Genesis of the book of Jesus Christ creation, right? More on that in a second. But Matthew, being this wonderful teacher, inspired by the Holy Spirit, goes on to summarize the Hebrew scriptures through this genesis of Jesus Christ or this genealogy. And he starts with Abraham and goes all the way to Joseph. And in this genealogy or this summary, we see human after human, born of human initiative, fail time and time again. Just to look at a few examples. Abraham was a man that moved his entire life for God. He is the man through which the nation of Israel was born, but he was also the man that did not trust trust God's promises for a son and had Ishmael through Hagar and treated this family poorly, horribly. Jacob. Another man of God wrestled with God and was rewarded for it. It says he basically touched heaven. But Jacob also cheated his brother and treated both Leah and Rachel really awfully. David was said to be a man after God's own heart, but he murders a man and takes his wife. The list goes on and on. And the point here is Israel has tried over and over and over again to restore the relationship with God, and they have failed time and time again. No one, not even the great King David himself, has been able to save Israel. And this is how the Old Testament ends. What a great story, right? That's the story I want to read. This story ends without an ending. With the Israelites in captivity awaiting a savior, someone to rescue them. Does anybody remember, this is going to seem like not related, but it is, I promise. Anybody remember the show Between the Lions? I might be dating myself a little bit. Okay, the people that do are very excited right now. It was a show on PBS, kids, okay? Uh, and there was this little segment in that show called Cliffhanger. Anyway, yes, okay. So there's this guy for a name Cliff, and he always finds himself hanging on a cliff. And there's this little song that goes, Cliffhanger, hanging from a cliff, and that's why he's called Cliffhanger. And then he goes, oh, man, every time. Okay, some people are getting this. Some people are like, no, that's how I always remember what a cliffhanger was as a kid. But similar to Cliff from Between the Lions, we see the Old Testament proverbially hanging on a giant cliff. That's how this relates. <laughs> and so Matthew, within these first 17 verses, is like, I'm not going to make you wait any longer. 
He says, there's a resolution. There's an end to your cliff. There's an end to this Hebrew story. And that is the Messiah. He is your ending. And he has come to save you. His name is Jesus Christ. But Matthew says, don't just take my word for it. I'm going to explain to you how he is going to do this, okay? I'm going to tell you a little bit about his origins, his life, his ministry, and specifically his goal here on earth. And this is where we, become, we come to the, excuse me, the birth story, okay? This genesis of Jesus Christ. And we see this in verse 18, starting in verse 18. But before we get there... I feel like I need to give a few asides or caveats to this all too familiar story. As some popular stories of scripture go, we have developed a whole lot of misconceptions about this story that need to be addressed. And so, number one, Jesus does not start at virgin birth. Jesus does not start at virgin birth. In fact, he existed before creation as a part of the Trinity, the Godhead three in one. And we know this because scripture tells us this and illustrates this over and over again, but there's no better place that summarizes this than Colossians 1, chapter 15, verse 20. And you know, it's funny, I've never thought about this, but when I read this scripture again for the sermon, I was like, wow, they're really like beating a dead horse over here. He says this about a bazillion different ways, but I do think it's really helpful around a concept that needs a whole lot of clarity. And so I'm going to read it for us today. So Colossians chapter one, verse 15, it says, he is the image, Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, again, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn, we're really liking our repetition here, from the dead, that in everything he may be what preeminent. For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus existed before creation. Jude says this in a similar fashion. Jude chapter 1 verse 25. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. The early church was really trying to figure out who this person of Jesus was. They're trying to figure out why could he have existed before all creation and then was born of a virgin. Help me understand. And so they created this thing called the Nicene Creed. This is one of the components of the Nicene Creed. And I think it helpfully summarizes this concept. It says, in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Okay, I know that was a lot. In summary, 
Jesus is co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. He existed before creation, but it is by Mary and the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus enters into the human story. And he becomes the first Emmanuel, or God with us. The only Emmanuel, or God with us. More on that in a second. Second thing, the Holy Spirit did not physically impregnate Mary. And I know some of you are going to laugh at this, but this is really, really important. This isn't some weird reversal of Rosemary's baby, I promise you. Okay, rather, the Genesis language that is used in this account and also in Luke's account of this story should remind us that all life originates from our creator God, who from nothing came everything. Out of nothing, the Holy Spirit creates life in Mary. And this is an account of the creation story all over again. Remember, Genesis, the genesis of Jesus Christ. For the spirit who transformed the molecules of the dirt into flesh and bone to create the first human surely knew how to repeat that process in the womb of Mary. Number three. The story of the virgin birth has led many to believe that sex is dirty and that God doesn't want anything to do with it. And this could not be further from the truth, nor was it the intent of the disciples as they wrote Jesus's birth story account. Some have wrongly believed that Mary remained a virgin for the rest of her life. And although the biblical story does not directly address this, other historical accounts apply that her and Joseph lived a perfectly normal marriage. And most importantly, they had children of their own. And this idea of Mary and her virginity has actually led to beliefs whether this be conscious or unconscious, that virginity is somehow better than marriage. And when we examine the role of both marriage and singleness in the light of scriptures, Jesus's teachings, and also Jesus's life itself, we know this viewpoint does not hold true. I don't have time to get into all of it, but if you have questions about it later, let me know. The big idea here is sex is not dirty, singleness is not incomplete, the vision of the kingdom includes both marriage and singleness. And so, with some of these misconceptions about Jesus' birth discussed, I want to move on and specifically dive into verse 18. So as you go there in your Bibles, you can also read along on the screens, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. I want to give just a quick aside. So this story also happens in Luke, okay? But in Luke, it's actually told from the uh, perspective of Mary, but here it's told from the perspective of Joseph. And this is actually the beauty of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that we get three different perspectives on many of the same stories. And so we read in Matthew's account here, verse 18, the following. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In these three verses, the Holy Spirit is mentioned twice. And this is where we get a clue to Matthew's first question, what's Jesus's origin story? And the answer is found in the Holy Spirit. Matthew says two times, the child Jesus is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to pause here because if we were being honest, we were shirking off all of our preconceived notions and familiarity with this passage, this is weird. Like really, 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 really weird. And if you don't think it's weird, then you need to kind of shirk off some of those things that you learned as a kid or get rid of some of your familiarity with this passage because this should be shocking, okay? Mary, a virgin, is with child conceived by the Holy Spirit. The only way I know how to even get rid of some of my own familiarity is to revisit this story again and what I'm going to call the Cassie paraphrase because that's truly what it is. So please don't take all of this as scripture. This is my interpretation. So here we go. Once upon a time, there was a man named Joseph and a woman named Mary. And no, it wasn't a fall in love, happily ever after type of story. It was one in which they were born in a very, very, very small town of maybe 500 people, conservative Jewish household, and also were to be matched because they lived in a culture of parental matchmaking. And at 10 or 13 years of age, they knew we are going to marry one another one day. And at 16 years of age, the parents came together and thought, we should really make this official, so let's draw up a contract. But just as they're drawing up a contract for these two to become married, an engagement that was quite literally years in the making, Mary is pregnant. Uh-oh. And when asked, who's the baby daddy? She does not say Joseph, which would have been what I would have thought. She did not say John who lives down the road or Peter in the house next door. She says, there is no baby daddy. It was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And at this point, I'm like, what, right? And Joseph is thinking the same thing, right? Because I can believe in miracles, but a baby born without a biological dad is a little bit of a stretch for me. Like I was in sixth grade biology. If I'm being honest, it also sounds like a really convenient cop-out for Mary, right? Like, God made me do it. So Joseph, maybe much like myself would in this situation, resolves to break his engagement with Mary. But he's kind and he's considerate and he says, I'll do this quietly. I'll work to save your face. But before he gets the chance, he has a dream. And in this dream, an angel is there and says, Mary's telling the truth. The baby inside her comes from the Holy Spirit. 
do not break off the engagement. Marry her anyway. Joseph wakes up from this dream, and I think I would have thought I ate something really weird last night, but instead he goes, okay, I'll marry her. Huh. This is a really embarrassing, socially unacceptable, seemingly unnecessary, very uncomfortable family story that I would want to shove all the way to the back of the bookshelf, never bring out, never talk about, even if it was true. If I were writing this story, there would have been a palace, not a tiny little town and an eventual animal trough. If I were writing this story, there'd be a prince and a princess, not a pregnant, unwed teenager. If I were writing this story, Jesus would have been born like a normal person, like birds and bees style, okay? But no, instead, he is conceived by the Holy Spirit in a virgin. But I am not writing this story. You are not writing this story Jesus' biographers are writing this story. Matthew is writing this story. And the only reason he would include something so incredulous is he not only believed it was true, but he believed it was really significant. And that begs the question, why? Why was it so significant The disciples risked embarrassment, even their own credibility writing it. And the answer can actually be found in Israelites, the Israelites' cliffhanger. Remember, the nation of Israel did not need another David. They needed something way more. They needed a man, a king, a savior, yes. But they also needed someone who was not given in life through human initiative, but one that was given life through the Holy Spirit. The old strategy had not worked. They needed a new one. In the words of Dale Bruner in his commentary on Matthew, he says this, the office or the job of the Holy Spirit from the very beginning of the Christian or the Christ story is to bring Jesus into human life. The Israelites needed a man brought into human life by the Holy Spirit. Let me be clear, Jesus was not just some God disguised as a human being walking around Palestine. Rather, he was the perfect marrying of flesh and spirit in one person. He was conceived by the spirit from the womb of a human named Mary with an adoptive father in the line of David, siblings, a hometown, friends and community, a person who may finally have a shot at saving the Israelites from this cycle of sin that they have never been rescued from, a savior who would finally rescue them, a bridge to restore their relationship with God definitively. And Matthew articulates this and reminds us of this when he quotes the angel in verse 23 
and says, yes, Jesus will be born of a virgin, but his name will be Emmanuel, God with us, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born of the Spirit with a fleshy birth, and in some mysterious way, Jesus really is God with us, Emmanuel. The exact solution that the Israelite people needed. And this brings us to Matthew's second question. What is Jesus' goal? And we see this in verse 21. It says, the angel, still speaking to Joseph, says, she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There's actually a pun of sorts that's happening here that we miss in English translation that exists here in the Greek and the Hebrew. And so, first of all, I do not claim to be a Greek or a Hebrew expert. In fact, I'm far from it. But bear with me. It bears a whole lot of importance to Jesus' goal. So the word here for Jesus is actually the Greek translation of the word Yeshu. Okay? And this is a shortened version of the name Yehoshua. Okay? So it's like a nickname. Yehoshua. And Yehoshua is what we know to be Joshua. So in ancient Hebrew, all Hebrew names were actually shortened versions of a phrase or truth about God. We kind of still see this exist in our culture today where a name will have some sort of representation, right, of an idea or a thing. And in its Latin or its Greek context, you would, that would make sense to you, okay? So here we actually see that playing out. So we have Yehoshua or Joshua nicknamed Jesus as a shortened version of Yahweh saves or God saves. We actually kind of hear that in the name, right? Yehoshua, Yahweh. So who will save? God will save and Jesus will save. Both and yes. And in this pun, God is answering the Israelites' desperation, their primal cry for a savior, the need for something more, a man empowered by the spirit who would not just save them from physical captivity, but one who would save them from their sins definitely. They needed a Jesus empowered by both the Holy Spirit, come from God, the person they had always known to save them from their sins, to do it once and for all. This is Jesus's goal as outlined by Matthew, that he will be the giver of God's definitive salvation to the Israelite people. But Matthew, again, doesn't end there. He goes on to talk about how this goal will play out in the rest of Jesus' life through his ministry, through his death, through his resurrection, and through his ascension. And then Matthew does something really interesting at the end of his gospel. Go with me now, very last page of Matthew. Started from the beginning, going to the end. Very last page of Matthew. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 28, is giving some words to his disciples, some parting words before he ascends. 
And he gives the all too famous Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 25. And he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Parallel, Mary was found with the child Jesus, earth, born from the Holy Spirit, heaven. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. You shall call him God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of age. They shall call him Emmanuel, or God with us. Matthew parallels Jesus' origin story and goal and says, you have your own origin story and goal. What's your origin? Virgin birth. New life, baptism in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is your goal? To save not just the Israelite people, but all nations through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dale Bruner summarizes this beautifully when he says this. When Jesus Christ comes to anyone in history, even his coming to Mary, It is always the work of the Spirit. Not human preparation, not human enterprise, not human initiative. For every conversion is a virgin birth. With human beings, this new life is impossible. But with God, absolutely everything is possible. You don't just need another David. You need something more than David. The Holy Spirit, in other words, is the miraculous how of new life. Worship team, if you want to join me. If I were to ask you, maybe prior to the sermon, because you might know where I'm going, but if I were to ask you, What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? You might say patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And to that, I would say yes. That's what Paul tells us. You might also say that it would be tongues, prophecy, discernment, interpretation of tongues, healings. And to that, I would say yes. A plus, gold star, you are right. But I would be shocked if you looked at me and said a gift of the Holy Spirit is salvation. Because we do not think of salvation as the work of the Holy Spirit, but every conversion is a virgin birth. A miraculous new life born in the power of the Spirit. Something more, a new strategy. In fact, Jesus himself teaches us that salvation is the work of the Spirit in John chapter 3. It's the story of this man who comes to Jesus. He thinks he knows it all. 
He's very holy. He's a Jewish man, a teacher. His name, Nicodemus. But he's so scared to go to Jesus. He does so in the cover of night secretly, worried about what people will say. But Jesus meets Nicodemus where he's at. And he reveals the mystery of salvation to him. Picking up in verse 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus replies, asking, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said this to you, that you will be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Remember Genesis, Ruach? Spirit is wind. And so, Jesus says, is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is starting a new family and a new birth is required. You and I have been born of flesh and blood, but there is a new birth available through water and spirit. Every conversion is a virgin birth. And it's not just a new birth, it's a totally new life, a new way of living. And so today, my invitation to you is twofold. Number one, if you've never experienced the Spirit's gift of salvation, there's no better day than the present. Maybe you find yourself like Jesus and your genealogy is really screwed up. It's riddled with failed messiahs, broken promises, and Jesus' invitation to you today is to be born again to have a new genealogy, a new bloodline, to be born of the Spirit. Maybe like Nicodemus, you've been searching in dark places for answers to your deepest questions. And Jesus' invitation to you today, just like Nicodemus, is to be born of the Spirit. Maybe you find yourself hanging on a cliff like the Israelites, so fed up with your cycle of bad decisions and mistakes and longing for a new strategy, something different, someone to rescue you. And the good news of the gospel is that someone already has. Jesus has rescued you, and he is inviting you into a new life, a new birth, born from his agent, the Holy Spirit. And if you want to experience this new life, our invitation to you today is very simple. 
be a part of this family. Declare your new lineage by joining us at the communion table and praying with a prayer partner. Receive the Holy Spirit's gift of salvation. And for those of us who are here today who have experienced this gift, my invitation to you is simple. Remember it. Remember your salvation. Remember your rescuing. Remember the vicious cycle you were a part of before. See the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Remember your virgin birth. And identify now as being part of a new life, a new family, as Jesus' son or daughter. May the Holy Spirit's work in our lives be more than just a cute little birth story. May it be something that changes us from the inside out and transforms the world around us. Let's pray. Lord, may we see ourselves in this story today. May we see ourselves in the lineage, in the genealogy of Jesus, in the cycle of failure, in the brokenness of our relationship with you. Lord, may we see ourselves in this story today as a new babe born, being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and invited into a new way of living. And may this identity of new life, of new birth, not just be some cute attachment to our story or our wellness routine, but something that transforms our life and most importantly, everyone around us. May it be a story of once I am lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. Holy Spirit, transform us, change us. And may we today take steps toward your salvation and remember it. Amen. listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.